From a pastor's perspective, the readings for this week can be a little bit tricky because it's a series of hard lessons stacked one on top of the other. And each of the three readings present a lesson that is incredibly important for the church to hear. But they can also be dangerous to preach on. Because it doesn't matter which of the three readings is chosen for today, there's a risk of someone being offended, being misunderstood, or angering people because you've run afoul of modern political sensibilities or touched on a political issue that makes us uncomfortable. Let's take a moment and look at the three readings and the summaries of what they contain, and you'll see what I mean. The first option we have to hear about is from Amos, where he tells us that if we abuse the Sabbath, what we do is turn our neighbor into a commodity and deny them the opportunity to be seen as one of God's children. That's our first option. The second comes from Timothy, how you must pray for those who are in power over you, even if that means you must pray for leaders of the opposite party. And then after we cover praying for political leaders you may or may not disagree with, we need to talk about how women are supposed to dress modestly, live submissively, and not have authority over men. That's the second option. Or we get the third from Luke. You cannot serve both God and money because what you do with your money matters to God. So, which will it be? Because in the midst of all of those topics, we need to cover what they contain and then find our way back to Jesus and leave here confident in our salvation and rejoicing in what God has done for his people. That's the task for today. Perhaps the lesson I should learn is three years from now, it's Vicar's Sunday to preach. But, that being said, each of these lessons are incredibly important for us to hear. Because it reminds us that living the Christian life is about living a life that is very different from what the world around us might say is the good life to live. When we see this kind of alternative lifestyle described, it can be hard to grapple with because it raises questions about our own lives and we have to confront our own idols, things we may hold to in private or maybe publicly and may confront sins of which we do not really want to repent. So instead of looking at just one reading for today, let's consider them all. Let's see what God has to say about the standard he sets of my people will live different than the world because my people are not defined by the world but by me. So we begin with Amos, our Old Testament reading for today. Amos is rebuking the merchants and the people who do not have time for the Sabbath. And they don't have time for the Sabbath because they're too busy making money. They have a desire to make money, and so they resent that God has commanded them to rest. If they stop working, they fear, they will miss out on making more money. They will miss out on an opportunity, and therefore they will lose some of the wealth they could have had. But Amos asks us to look at the Sabbath through a slightly different lens. Instead of focusing on the rest that we have, he asks us to focus on the rest that our neighbor should have. And he argues that when 
a merchant refuses to rest on the Sabbath, what we do is we turn our fellow believers into a commodity, a means by which money can be made, instead of allowing them to be fellow members of God's chosen people. The merchants knew that they could not actually conduct business on the Sabbath because that would run them afoul of the commandments that they were supposed to follow. But Amos is pointing out that they don't actually stop working because they devote their minds not to the things of God, but to the things of man. They focus only on their money and what's being lost. And so they spend the Sabbath trying to figure out how to sell products in a new way, how to drive their fellow citizens into debt so that they could make them slaves when they're no longer to pay. And so they spend their Sabbath not restoring their relationship with their neighbor, but instead using it to find a way to exploit their neighbor. What does that have to teach us about the Sabbath in our lives today? After all, after all, we no longer keep the laws about not working on the Sabbath that would prevent us from doing many of the things we take for granted. These laws are fulfilled by Christ in his life. Well, the way this matters to us today is that when we fail to rest, when we fail to develop a relationship with God by hearing his word and receiving his forgiveness, and then in turn, when we fail to spend time working on our relationships with our neighbors, our family, and our friends, we fall into the same temptation and sin that Amos is warning the merchants about so long ago. We turn those around us into a commodity, a means by which we can get ahead, instead of seeing them as a fellow redeemed person of God. If our actions prevent us, prevent someone else from hearing God's word, then we refuse to honor their identity as God's chosen child as well. No matter how we would do this, anything we would do that prevents someone else from hearing God's word has done exactly what Amos has warned us about in our lesson for today. And so we'll leave Amos sit there for a moment and we'll come to Timothy. And Timothy gives us two topics to look at, both of which are written about by Paul to Timothy. Remember, we talked about this last week, that Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, and Paul's writing this at the end of his life while he is in prison in Rome because of the spreading of the Christian faith. And so Paul begins by telling Timothy, tell your congregation, pray for everyone, especially kings and those who are in high positions. In other words, pray for the government. And remember, Paul is telling Timothy to pray for the government that's holding him in prison. Not an easy task to do. Now, for most of our history, praying for those in authority wasn't much of a challenge for most Christians in the Western world. However, this is not always as easy now as it once was. In our divided culture today, the attitude of I am going to pray for whoever is in control or authority over me is very countercultural to do. Because whether your bumper sticker says never Trump or Trump 2024, it doesn't matter. You're going to pray for the one who is in authority. Remember, Paul is telling Timothy to pray for your ruler, regardless of whether or not you agree with what they are doing. You pray for them and ask the Lord to bless them and pray that they would rule in such a way that 
Christians are able to live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And if that makes us uncomfortable, pales in comparison for what Paul has in store for us next, which is the instruction in which he writes that women are supposed to dress modestly, live submissively, and remain quiet, and that she is saved through childbearing. Now, reading that list certainly runs contrary to what we would expect to hear regarding women. It can sound downright backward and archaic. And we can be tempted to hear it and then just ignore it and say, that's a good list for another time. But to do so would be to ignore God's word given for God's people. So we need to ask, what is Paul getting at with this list? Well, when Paul is writing, he is writing against a particular development in Roman culture in which there is this movement called the New Roman Woman. It was a cultural movement that encouraged women to reject their place in marriage, to embrace their sexuality, and to avoid becoming a mother at all costs, because to do so would shackle them to a family and keep them from pursuing their full potential. And this new ideal was celebrated in Roman society and held up as a desire that all should seek to attain. So when Christian women saw their Roman neighbors embracing this new lifestyle, they were tempted to do the same. Just like today, when anyone can come in and see a service, or come into a church service and see for themselves what's going on inside of the church, people would visit early Christian church services as well. And so Paul simply reminds them and asks the women, when people see you, what do they see? Do they see a person who draws the attention to themselves through sexuality and the abandonment of their husbands? Or do they see someone who draws attention to themselves because of their godliness and the good words that adorn their life? Notice he's not saying it's a sin to wear nice clothes or expensive jewelry. He's not even saying it's a sin to look nice and feel good about who you are. Instead, he's arguing that the problem arises when nice clothes, expensive jewelry, and sexuality are the only thing people see when they see you. Because this is not what a Christian wants to be known for. So he instructs that people shouldn't know us by the earthly things we wear. They should know us by our words, our works, and our deeds. These are the things that should identify you as a Christian. So Paul says, make sure it is your Christian faith that people see first, not the finery and accessories of the world. And this goes hand in hand with the submissiveness and quietness. Part of becoming a new Roman woman was to live as if you were not married. Well, how might that look today? Imagine you're a married woman and invited to go to Vegas for a weekend bachelorette party or a man who's married and asked to go to Vegas for a bachelor party? Do you wear your wedding ring, or do you leave it home in the hopes you'll have more fun? Well, to leave it behind would be to lie, to live as if you were not married, and therefore deceive everyone around you into thinking you are something you are not. And so when Paul is speaking to the people in Timothy's congregation, this is the warning he's making them in regards to submissiveness and quietness. Make sure that the behavior of those within the congregation speak the truth of who you are. Do not deny the reality of your husband or your wife by pretending as if they don't exist. It might be fashionable to do so, but do not do it. 
This brings us to the final admonition that Paul has given regarding a woman being saved through childbearing. There are two things happening in this statement. First, Paul is again rebuking the new Roman woman idea by reminding people that having children and creating a family is a God-pleasing action. It's what God has designed us to do. It is so God-pleasing that he says to Eve that she will be saved by one of the children she bears and points ahead to the birth of our Savior Jesus. Paul is celebrating the family and the children that were being destroyed by the new Roman woman ideals that taught that children were simply a hindrance to women that prevented them from having a full life. The idea had taken such a deep hold on people that many Roman women and Roman families were turning to abortions in order to prevent losing their social status in the Roman culture. Paul points to this rejection as a rejection of God's design for family. Do not think that he's speaking only to women here because he intends men to hear this as well, to hold them accountable for celebrating such non-Christian behavior and ideals. For when men, whether they are Christian husbands or not, encourage and support these behaviors, they are guilty of doing them as well. And that brings us to Luke, who tells us a parable and closes by saying, No servant can serve two masters, for either hates the one and loves the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. First, this parable looks as if it's only about money because it tells the story of a banker who's reducing the debts owed to his master in order to try and make them like him before he loses his job. What it is going on here is much more than that. Paul, or Luke, goes on to the end of his parable with this observation. The Pharisees, who were the lovers of money, heard these things, and they ridiculed him, and they said to him, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. It is these two verses that bring the rest of the parable into focus for today. That the teachings about the Sabbath, the rebuke of the new Roman woman, the warning against money, all boil down to this. That those who love these things will ridicule those who love God. And Satan loves all of these things. The rejection of the Sabbath, the rejection of authority, and the love of money. Satan loves all of these things, and so he will do whatever he can to trivialize them before you and convince you that they are outdated and archaic teachings of an old church. Because in mocking them, Satan and the world can tempt all of us to chase after these things that Satan and the world would hold to be more important than what God has given to us. Because these things of the world that Satan puts before us glorify the people who chase after them, even though God would call them abominations, detestable, and intolerable. And if we need proof of this, we just need to look around. The Sabbath can't be observed every week. We need those t- this time for other things, for shopping, hunting, fishing, time away, tournaments. The list can go on. We don't have time during the day to pray as a family because there's too many other things we need to do. Modesty and family, it's an afterthought. It's something that you do after you've done everything else and accomplished the goals set for you in the world. Whatever it takes to get ahead, that's what you should do. 
Men and women are taught that family should come only after you've finished your college degree and established your career and become financially stable. And sexuality, it's a means of power and control, something you do to bring yourself pleasure. It's never treated as a gift from one spouse to another. And of course, your perception of value, it's linked very tightly to your bank account. This is what is exalted among men. And so what pleases God is ridiculed. So what are we to do? We are to do what the dishonest manager does in the parable and live a life the world cannot understand, a life that embraces that which comes from God. You see, in the parable, the dishonest manager gives away things that do not belong to him. He forgives debts that he has no right to forgive. And at the end of the parable, Jesus holds him up as the example for us to follow. Just how do you follow that example? By giving away what is not ours to give. Give away what belongs to our master. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, and peace. These are not our things to give because they only come to us from God. But he gives them to us and so we can give them away abundantly. This is what Jesus has done for you. He took all that his father had and he gave it to you. Not because you earned it, but because you needed it. He gave it to you because this is who he is. He knew you would work on the Sabbath, and so he gave you grace anyway. He knew that you would be tempted to hate those who are elected into authority over you, and so he approaches you with mercy. He knows that you would be tempted to ridicule his design and his purpose for you. He knows that you would rather attract one another through sexuality than, and good works, and he forgives your sin abundantly. He knows that you would rather chase after the glory of this world, and he brings you peace anyway. He does this for you because he loves you in spite of the sins that this world has brought into your life. He does this for you because he has made you a new creation, a new person, one of his children who can live with him forever. Because we know our master and because we know what he has done for us, we know that we too can give away his grace, mercy, forgiveness, and peace so that others can experience him as well. He gives us the opportunity to give this away so that we can show others the love that God has shown us. And so give what God has given to a world that doesn't deserve it. Give it away so that we can teach the world that there is a different kind of life than the one that chases the fleeting glory of the world around us. Give away what God has given to you so you can show the world what it means to be a Christian, so that when they see you, they don't see the glory of this world. Instead, they would only see the glory of God dwelling in you. Amen. Now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.